All right, welcome to Inside My Canoe Head, a podcast about individual emergency preparedness, policy-related issues, adventure, life, seeking the brilliance of happiness. Sit back and enjoy. All right, welcome back to the Ottawa studios of Inside My Canoe Head. Listen, this week we're going to talk about something really interesting. Uh, It's the beginning of a blog series that I'm doing on my business website, preparednesslabs.ca, and it's on employee emergency preparedness. So individual emergency preparedness for your employees from the perspective of a business manager. You're a manager in the office, you're a small business owner, you're part of an important team that are addressing some issue in society or in your corporation. What is the state of your individual emergency preparedness on your team? And how does that influence what you do for a living at your business? So sit back and enjoy. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, in the world of um, individual emergency preparedness, we talk about you, your family, and all those important considerations that help you live and rock an incredible life while wrapping yourself in a blanket of preparedness. Now, if you put your hat on as a business manager, a site foreman, a construction foreman, an office retail manager, a distribution center manager... People are the core of your business. People are how you are successful and at times they're the reason why you're not successful. So a lot of times what businesses do is they invest in something called business continuity planning. Now, business continuity planning is in most simplistic terms, it's business, it's emergency preparedness for business. It's all the things that a corporation or an entity or an organization has to go through to get its mission protected, its operations protected from disruptions, the same set of considerations that you would take into account when you were dealing with your own individual emergency preparedness, you are a 12-step plan, all these things that you're going to do, your time horizons, determining who you're responsible for, all those other things that you would do for your family and to develop the foundation of your plan. You do the same thing when you're a business owner. It's just called business continuity planning. There are several professional organizations in the world. And what they offer is certifications. You can get it from the Disaster Recovery Institute, DRI, or from the Business Continuity Institute. They offer various different acronyms. But in the end, what they do is they give a level of education so that a professional can come in and guide you and your organization through what are basically cookie cutter stages and processes that develop a foundation of a pretty solid business continuity plan that will enable you to understand the risks through which you which you're exposed to based upon your operations where you work how to evaluate those threats how to come up with a mitigation plan against those threats then how to develop a response plan if those hazards are realized and a disturbance occurs in your operations what are your management control groups what are your employees expected to do and how do you take and walk your business through this disruption out the other side how do you communicate with people how do you communicate with professionals so It's an excellent endeavor. I mean, it's a great thing to invest in if you're a business manager. I I wrote my master's thesis on business continuity for small businesses. So I really looked at those individual mom-pa or franchisees that didn't have a corporate plan lent down. And then when I looked at their plans and then I looked at you know, literally hundreds of business continuity plans across government ministries over the past couple of years and studying for my PhD, I realized that 
there was one big thing missing and that nobody, almost nobody, talked about the individual emergency preparedness for their employees. They talked about every single possible aspect about their business plan. How would they protect their IT? How would they protect the servers? How would we access our data? Some companies even went to the point where they set up full off-site offices. So if this building was compromised, I could send my employees to this alternate address. There would be computers and workstations and everything they needed there with IT hookups, server access, all that stuff. Like we had everything squared away in every business that I talked to and worked with about how to continue the operations. That's what it is. It's business continuity. But nobody was talking about the employees. And I kept asking the question, and I do today when I deal with businesses on a consulting corporate side, and I say to them, like, listen, what is your what is your assumption that your businesses that your that your employees are going to show up to your businesses when a disruption happens? So if something significant happens in the town of Ottawa or the city of Ottawa where I live, what makes you think your employees are going to stay at work? If there's something potentially happening in and around their families, they're gone. There's, there's no loyalty to your business that will supersede loyalty to their family. I don't care whether you're police, fire, EMS. You can look at statistics from southern United States and all of the natural disasters that they've had over a significant period of time. About 40 to 45 percent of your employees will remain on the job. The remainder will actually leave their job. That's on shift firefighters, police officers, etc., to go make sure that their families are safe. So if you're a corporate owner and you don't even have that level of loyalty, what are you expecting your people to do when the shizzy hits the fizzy in your town? They're going to go help their family. So I kept asking people, why aren't you including this in your business continuity plans? Why aren't you providing robust, up-to-date, top-notch emergency preparedness planning to your employees so that you increase the probability that when the big shizzy hits the fizzy, your employees will actually stay at work to execute the functions that you've spent so much money in organizing in these business continuity plans, you actually expect them to be there. You expect them to start your management control group, start up your incident response procedures, start up your communications procedures. You expect all that to happen. But that's the difference between expectations and reality. And so as a researcher, my role in emergency preparedness is to evaluate the claims on reality by professionals and leaders, right? So I examine the evidence. I look at the evidence. You know, that evidence is devoid of opinion or desire. It simply presents the difference between normative and positive, right? It's not what you want to happen. It's what really happens. And you come across managers like this all the time. They talk a great game about how they're performing, how their store is performing, how they're... But when you break out the analytics, when you look at the data that doesn't lie, that answers the question. And I do this because I do a lot of studying on emergency preparedness communications, right? So I work with a lot of businesses and government agencies on on their business continuity plan when it comes to communicating their message to the people. So how do municipalities get better at emergency preparedness communications, right? So there's a lot of details that go into that, but principally the idea is, is you have to be communicating with people, right? And communicating is not issuing messages. Communicating is having a two-way set of affairs. So you, not, you basically have to set up the conditions where you provide information to your employees so your employees feel like you 
you care and that you're invested in their own personal safety. And you should be because we go around all the time and we, we tote and we, we champion, you know, when we talk about ethics, when we talk about culture, when we talk about diversity, when we talk about inclusion, we talk about how important human beings are. They're the most important asset. And I ask people, really, so let's have a look at the amount of time and money that you invest on protecting your servers and your data integrity for your computer versus the amount of money you spend on preserving and saving the emergency preparedness of your employees. And the problem with that is, is 99% of your business managers don't like the answer to that question. They'll stand in front of a microphone and say that culture, people, diversity, inclusion is the most important. And then when I look at their business continuity planning, the actual analytics that answer me the question, there's next to no money set aside for individual emergency preparedness of their employees, but a massive amount of chunk of money to buy all this offsite server farm in the cloud stuff, database backups, backups, alternate IT locations, all this other stuff to facilitate working. But each one of those things they're trying to set up requires a dedicated, focused employee to be sitting there. And I'm telling you, and psychology will tell you, and 45 years of disaster research will tell you that the number one thing people are focused on at the time of an emergency is their family. If you want them to come in, if you have a surge shift that you think is going to show up post-emergency and people are going to come in to help set up and get your site up and running and protect the data integrity of your business, you're making the assumption that these people are okay. Why not invest in these people? Why not spend the time extra and money to make sure that your employees have the best possible emergency preparedness information and education so that they're best suited when some disruption happens. There's very little things that they have to take care of at home, and then they can quickly reorientate themselves towards the business. The business that they feel a little bit of loyalty towards because the business invested in them. No, I don't mean buying people 72-hour kits. I mean actually looking at the data that's out there and looking for organizations that provide real actual training and education to people, not just perform a PDFs, etc. So they exist out there. Finding those for your employees is a huge step forward. When you look at the cost comparison, it's actually quite nominal compared to what you have to set up for alternate sites. If you think about it from now, put your hat on as an employee. If you're sitting at home, you're somebody who's interested in individual emergency preparedness. You found this podcast and other resources. You're taking down notes and you're doing what you can to make yourself and your family better prepared for life's disruptions. Imagine if you, as an employee, if your employer came in one day, sent out an email, say, hey, listen, we've pre-purchased you to attend this quote unquote masterclass on individual emergency preparedness that somebody has set up. It's a $200 value. We paid for it for everybody because you matter to us. We want you to go on your own time and on company time. We're going to give you X number of hours to do this, to take it, sit down with your family. We'll pay for it. 
and then I want you to come back and we're going to start a discussion group online and in person one you know one afternoon a month and we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about not only the business continuity plans but part of that discussion is going to be about you and your families and what we as a corporation and a group can come together to help you on that journey to make you feel more and better prepared for these difficult turbulent times that we're living in Imagine if you were an employee at a business and that's the message you got. If you saw that your employer was invested in your own personal emergency preparedness, that your company wanted to make sure that you and your family had everything it needed to handle a disruption so that things would be that much better for you. And if you took a look around the world and you saw all these disruption happening, then you understand that there is a huge value in this, not just from the humanistic ethics side of it, which I think is incredibly important, but if you put your manager's hat back on, we're in a time of a great reset when it comes to work. People are realizing, in America they're calling it the great resignation, people are realizing that they don't have to live a life of struggle. There is absolutely no requirement to work for a wage you disagree with at a company you're not very happy just to barely be able to pay your bills to survive. People are choosing to live that way they did for decades because that's just what we all thought we had to do. Now people are realizing because of the pandemic that there are so many different ways to earn money. There are so many different ways to live and exist. I mean, you find something, you find a digital gig online, you can be sitting on a beach in Chiang Mai, Thailand, paying $200 Canadian a month for rent. I mean, and, and you're eating for $10 a month. So people are realizing, so how do you keep people? This is just another way to demonstrate your caring and investment in your employees. These type of things, don't they don't cost a lot of money. Even if you went so far as to got your local Red Cross individual in, somebody from St. John Ambulance to come in and give a free three-hour standard first aid or emergency first aid course to all of your employees so that you had a safer workplace and it gave them a tool for when they were in at home or when life's disruptions happened or some type of an emergency happened in the shopping mall. Imagine if you made that kind of simple investment in your employees. All of these things make them happier and more dedicated. And a more dedicated and more loyal employee to your organization or even an organizational group member is going to be therefore that much more interested in your success as their own. So they will do the logical human thing and take care of their family first, irrespective of the amount of training you give them. Their family will and always will be their number one concern. But as soon as that is taken care of, they will feel a sense of loyalty and duty perhaps to your company or organization to be there to help you then navigate through the disruptions and issues that you're presented with. Making an investment in them is making an investment in yourself. And the vast majority of companies out there are already investing a significant amount of money in business continuity plans. Listen, I looked at it for a while as starting that business and I was looking in the tens of thousands of dollars for a medium-sized company to write a report that I would know these people would do nothing but put on a shelf, check in the box, and they get lower business insurance because of it. 
it's a great racket. It's a great gig. There's wonderful people in it and they do great work. What I'm saying here today, and I hope the message is coming across, is that people are your number one resource. You're investing in your IT servers far more than you're investing in your people. And I think that's a little strange. And I think that makes me go, hmm, you say one thing, but you do another. We all know the descriptor of that. And we've all seen all kinds of great examples out of that. So hopefully you take from this Bring it up at work. Drop a hint to your manager. Show them ways that this could occur. Start a group. Start an emergency preparedness group at your work. I've always said that the number one thing to do in individual emergency preparedness after you answer the most important question, which we all know is, who is responsible for your outcomes? Once you've accepted the fact that you are responsible for your outcomes in individual emergency preparedness, we know that the most important thing you can do, and it's absolutely free, is to build your community. That's grow your social capital and your connections with the community and the people around you. Build those bonds. Question and answer. You get access to not only them, but you then get access to their network, the information on that network. You have access to the resources. Everything that goes together in that network, it expands. As you can see, like a spider web. You're on that spider web. You're just one person. But because of these great set of bonds that you're creating with other individuals, you're getting access to the entire network. That is social network mapping. That is social capital theory. That's the basis of my entire PhD dissertation on building communities such as this in municipalities for the transfer of emergency preparedness information. This is grounded in the smartest people on this planet. It works. It's the most important thing you can do. So why not encourage or ask your IT department for the permission to be able to put on this group on the server or create a Facebook group or some other social media group for the people that work at your business and where you can start exchanging informations. You don't have to identify yourself as a prepper. You don't have to go crazy or anything like that. It's just about saying, hey, listen, we had this, you know, this power outage for 45 minutes uh, in my house and I didn't even realize I didn't own a flashlight. I went out and bought a flashlight. I just thought I would start this group because I think it'd be really neat to talk about the things that we can do largely free of charge here at work or at home to make ourselves better prepared. Is anybody else interested? If so, leave your comments here, blah, blah, blah. And you can see how that social capital can grow. And by building that social capital, you start to build a network. And maybe it's a website you found, or maybe it's a podcast <laughs> that you found, or some piece of information that you found out there that you think would be useful to others and say, hey, listen, I stumbled across this. Maybe you're an avid listener to a podcast, but you don't want to make people think you're a bit crazy. So you say, hey, listen, I stumbled across this in an Apple search. I listened to one episode. Sounds reasonable. I'll tell you more about it later, but if you're interested, here you go. Or just a link, like I live in the city of Ottawa, maybe just a link to the city of Ottawa's emergency management organization's webpage, right? Something simple like that to start the conversation. You don't necessarily need your employer on board to start the building that social capital and building that community group. But I think it's more important if you do because they can bring in additional resources. And the last consideration on why this work matters is 
whether you want to or not, whether you like it or not, a good number of organizations are making the transition back to the office workplace. So while you've been sitting at home largely in home emergency preparedness has pretty much covered all of the bases for the last two years, you're going back into an environment where you now have considerations about emergencies can happen and disruptions can happen while you're at work. What do they look like? What is everybody planning to do? I live in Ottawa and we have a horrible LRT system that when it's running, it's a beautiful piece of network. It moves people around at high rates of speed. Light rail traffic is great. It's no problem. However, when it's broken, they try to replace it with buses. And that is, as Clint Eastwood would call it, a cluster you-know-what. So how am I, what's my intent to get home when I no longer have access to public transit and I took the bus to work? What's that plan? These are discussions that you can have in groups at work. They don't seem abnormal. You don't seem a bit of crazy. And it starts building that social capital and you bring your office into it. And you start having everybody having a conversation about it. You know, when's the last time anybody checked the office first aid kit to see if there's anything in there whatsoever, right? Is there anything in there? And if, you know, if there's a CPR mask, does anybody in this place actually train in CPR? Those are basic questions to start asking. When and this is really neat training and the fire departments in some cities offer it. And I really think it's worth it. Everybody organize something to where the fire department will show you how to fire, how to use a fire extinguisher. I know it sounds ridiculous, but we used to do it in the army. Every year you had to recertify and discharge a fire extinguisher. Why? Because everybody needs to actually do it. Knowing how to pull the trigger and aim at the base of the fire in sweeping motions is fine for somebody to tell it to you. But if you've never done it before and the time you have to do it is when something you like very, very much is on fire or something between you and the door to escape is on fire, that's not the first time you want to see if the lessons have learned and stayed, you know, true to what you were taught. So that's a great thing to do. Talk to your to your employer to see, you know, hey, listen listen, what if I try to arrange this? Would you be behind giving, letting everybody off early for an hour? We'll go to the local fire station. I'm sure they'd be happy. We'll arrange it. Everybody will walk over there. We'll have a bit of a brouhaha. We'll see all the firefighters. We'll all get to use um, fire extinguishers and everybody will be happy. And even if it costs a couple hundred bucks, I'm sure the business will be happy that you actually know how to use those things that some bylaw says need to be hanging on the side of the wall. So anyhow, these are just ideas for you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode on individual emergency preparedness at work as employee emergency preparedness. Thanks for joining us. There are a slew of things happening at Inside My Canoe Head. We have a website. The first newsletter went out this morning. Um, on the website, there is a link to the YouTube video, which we're slowly, right now for the next couple of weeks, I'm putting the podcast out tomorrow, like the day after it releases on Spotify and places like that. It comes out on YouTube with a bunch of video and stuff attached to it. Uh, that's going to continue on. Uh, we're going live on Instagram on the 28th of uh, April at 1900 hours Ottawa time. And this is to celebrate the two-year anniversary of the launch of Inside My Canoe Head. Inside My Canoe Head has a link to buy me a coffee. That is the element that I chose for the future modern, uh, monetization of this business. So you can buy me a coffee if you love what you hear. 
just leave me a comment. I mean, I appreciate the fact of all the feedback I get. I love it. If you want to throw some dollars at me, there's a buy me a coffee. Soon in that link, there will be an ebook. Soon there will be a video course that we're putting together over the next year that you'll be able to take yourself through. And then on top of that, uh, in the next couple of months, there's going to be a Zoom link there where you can pay X amount of dollars. I haven't figured out yet how much. And you can book an hour-long Zoom time with me one-on-one, -on -one, and we can talk about individual emergency preparedness. That's all stuff in the future, but forever and ever, amen, this podcast will remain on individual emergency preparedness. It will remain free, because if the least thing that I can do to give my part back to this world is to provide this information that people can leverage and use that's real, that's actionable, and it's truthful, and it's based not upon belief systems, but based upon actual research evidence. This is not a pocket talk. The world is not crashing. We're not about to see total societal collapse, and nuclear exchange is highly, highly unlikely. So on that happy note, thank you very much. Uh, keep believing in the people in Ukraine and what they're up to. Uh, support them where you can. If you want my opinion, that support should go to the Red Cross in monetary. Don't donate items. They're a logistical nightmare to get overseas and then distribute. Trust me. Europe has all that stuff. What they need is the money to buy the stuff. So thank you very much uh, for joining us this week on Inside My Canoe Head. Stay tuned, stay safe. And if you're here in Ontario with me, enjoy day one of no masks. Take care. <laughs>